Good morning. I'd like to first welcome all of you who either forgot or didn't know that Brian and Micah wouldn't be in the pulpit today. Extend you a warm welcome. Uh, you know, we have a saying and or a belief in the common Presbyterian uh, confession of faith that says that God is not without a witness. And uh, that means that even in those parts of the world where the gospel hasn't yet reached, that God's uh, majesty and, and glory is... Uh, is exhibited in nature in other ways, and so I believe that, I really believe that, that God is not without a witness, but probably this is as close as he's going to come in this building <laughs> this morning. So uh, anyway, I can't make any promises about the message other than it, I'm not going to cause you to be late for lunch. So, so although the messenger is imperfect, uh, it's still good to worship God together. So, uh, The scripture for today is John... 19, 7 through 12. And this is part of the narrative that's telling about Jesus' trial before uh, Pontius Pilate uh, after he had been betrayed and, and questioned by the Jewish leaders. So listen to the word of God. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus, but Jesus gave no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize that I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. <clears throat> from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. <clears throat> the word of God for the people of God. <clears throat> I want to speak today about uh, forbearance, uh, about the power that God gives us and how we choose to either use it or to refrain from using it, about how Christ had enormous power yet chose to use it sparingly, judiciously, gently, and with consideration, uh, and about how the human, uh, natural human tendency is to use whatever power we have, more or less like a bull in a china shop, and about how if we are to be imitators of Christ, then we need to be more aware of the power that God grants us and more restrained in how we use it and more thoughtful about how it affects others. So, you know, this reading and the longer narrative from which it's taken uh, are to me especially interesting because they show the different ways that their various characters in this story use their power. You know, we're familiar with the problems that the Jews and the Roman authorities had with each other. Judea had been consolidated as a Roman province just a short while before the time of Jesus. They hadn't really been part of the Roman Empire very long, maybe just a couple of generations. And it lay on the frontier or the outskirts of the of the Roman Empire, so that was kind of the edge of, the, of their power. Uh, the Jewish people had been subjugated, you know, they had a history of being subjugated for a couple hundred years, several hundred years, by various people, but just before the Romans took over, they had been uh, independent and had a brief period of independence. So uh, the, the fact that they had that memory, I think, of, of independence made rule by the Romans even harder to swallow. And so there was a lot of resentment, you know, a lot of resentment between, uh, between the Jews and the Romans. 
the Romans governed their provinces in a couple of different ways. Uh, a lot of times they left a local ruler in place that was uh, a member of maybe from the nation that was conquered. And, and so uh, <clears throat> as long as he was able to keep the peace and, maintain, and send taxes to Rome, they were pretty happy, you know. Uh, and that was the situation at the time of Christ's birth when they had King Herod, you know, we remember him. Uh, he was, uh, uh, King Herod was from Adumea, which was a neighboring territory, and he was nominally uh, Jewish. And so he ruled deviously and, and cruelly, as we know from the, from the stories of the, of the birth of Christ. After his death, which was shortly after the birth of Christ, his kingdom was divided among his sons with the approval of Rome course, and one son who ruled with the, the choice area that included Jerusalem was such a horrible ruler that uh, the Romans kicked him out and, and went to their second way of ruling uh, provinces, which was uh, direct rule from Rome. So now instead of having a local puppet king of the same ethnicity, half the province was governed by a representative sent more or less directly from Rome. He was answered to the governor of Syria, but it was a Roman official. Herod's other sons remained in control of their allotted areas. But the Roman prefect, uh, was this official was known, was the military and civil authority in Rome. And at the time of Christ's crucifixion, the person who held that post was Pontius Pilate. By the time of Paul's other uh, missionary journeys, a few years later, other people held that office. So usually what they would do is just last a few years and then move on to the next post. They were either promoted or not, you know. So that was the situation with Pilate. So, and again, success was measured in Rome's eyes by whether or not taxes were paid, tributes went into Rome, and peace was kept, you know. As long as there were no insurrections and no, you know, and that money kept flowing, they were happy. So with that background, it's pretty easy to find fault with the way that Pilate wielded power. In the case of Jesus in this scripture, after interrogating him, Pilate was unable to find any basis for a charge, but was still willing to have him crucified in order to appease the Jewish Sanhedrin. So let me, let me state that again another way. Pilate was perfectly willing to execute a man that he felt was innocent just to placate religious leaders if it would keep them you know, from, from making him look bad in the eyes of Rome. You know, he just, if they didn't stir up a, a revolt, let an innocent man die. It's fine with him. So the important thing was to hang on to power, and really justice didn't make much difference. And if you look at the Jewish leaders, it's pretty easy to be critical of their, the way they acted in this situation, too. Uh, you notice how they were all of a sudden a big advocate of Caesar, where it, in actuality they, you know, they just chafed under his rule. But they were his best friends, kind of hypocritically uh, telling uh, the Roman authority, you know, you're no friend of Caesar unless you kill this man that we just happen to want, you know, we just happen to want kill. And they hypocritically wanted to keep their hands clean and above the fray. <clears throat> so uh, there's a lot to find fault with on both sides there. Then notice how Jesus uh, used his unimaginable power in this situation. That verse 10 has to be one of the most ironic questions in the history of questions, you know, I guess. It's, he says, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize that I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Now think about that for a minute. 
You know, here's Pilate asking Jesus, an immortal, uh, an immortal being with absolutely unlimited power, you know, don't you know who I am? You know, don't you know that I have power over you? And, of course, the truth is just exactly the opposite. You know, Jesus has all the power. He's just not using it, you know. He's refraining from using it. So, uh, you know, that's the, the difference is just stark in that. Uh, it's very, very restra- restrained uh, reaction by Jesus. He says, you only have power because God gave it to you. And I think it was kind of upsetting to Pilate, and this, this is human tendency, uh, it was upsetting to Pilate because Jesus wasn't groveling sufficiently. You know, he was brought in on these charges, and instead of, like, begging for his life or anything, he was calm and he, you know, wasn't playing the same game that uh, Pilate was playing. He wasn't groveling nearly enough as the situation called for. Uh, he thinks, and Pilate probably thought that Jesus should have recognized his predicament and immediately recognized the power that Pilate had and began begging and pleading. So Pilate was irritated because, like, and this is still true today, you know, nothing's more irritating than when people don't recognize how wonderful we are. Uh, and we have to tell them, you know, sometimes. Uh, so for, forbearance in the use of, uh, of this unlimited power of Jesus, though, is a common thread throughout the ministry of Christ. The idea that one can have power and choose not to use it or to use it in a limited way, that one can have rights and choose not to demand that they uh, be recognized. We may be uh, fully capable to impose our will and yet choose voluntarily to refrain from doing so. You know, that's that's... You see that all throughout Christ's ministry. So forbearance means that we choose not to use 100% of our power and demand 100% of our rightful due in every situation. It does not mean, though, that power is never used in any situation, uh, but rather that it's used appropriately. As, as Cumberland Presbyterians, you know, in our confession of faith, we're encouraged to seek civic offices and other positions of power for which we're qualified so we should be thankful, I think, and pray for those many, many members of our congregation who have been uh, judges, principals, business leaders, and all kind of positions of power. These folks make difficult decisions routinely, and oftentimes the old saying that no good deed goes unpunished, you know, follows along with the decisions they make. Uh, so I think that, you know, there's a huge difference between using power judiciously and then just refusing to use the power that you have. And, and so as Cumberland Presbyterians, you know, there's other denominations that see things differently, but we think that we should be part of the world, be involved in the world, and use the power that God grants us in the furtherance of Christ's kingdom. So that's a huge difference. So I want to make clear that, that we're not talking about just never using power. Okay, anyway, again, though, the inclination toward forbearance is seen throughout the ministry of Christ. So if you think back to the time immediately after his baptism, he withdrew to the desert, and there Satan tempted him with various things, turning stones into to bread. Uh, he gave, showed him all the nations of the world and said, I will give you authority over these. And then he said, jump down from the highest point on the temple and the angels will save you, you know, and make this big show. So in every case, you know, Jesus refused. And really when you boil all three of those down, I think it, it, it's 
they all, the common thing they have uh, together is that uh, Christ is refusing to use his power inappropriately. You know, during this time of reflection in the desert, he's being tempted to use this power that he knows he has in various ways, turning the stones into bread, in other words, making, uh, making himself comfortable, uh, using his power for, for authority or to make a big show. And he did, in every case, he said, no, that's not the way that power needs to be used. You know, he had the power, but he needs to use it appropriately. So in forbearance was, is listed in Galatians 5 and, and some of the other letters of Paul as a fruit of the Spirit and a characteristic quality that should be present among Christians living in community, along with many others, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And like all the qualities that, that Christians should exhibit, forbearance is made possible by the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't really come naturally for humans. It, it just doesn't come naturally for us to not use the power that we have. So what does come naturally? You know, what is the nature of man? Ideas about the nature of man predate Christianity. Uh, there was a Greek philosopher before the time of Christ who noted that the powerful do what they will, the suffer, the poor suffer what they must. You know, and that, that pretty well sums up the situation, that uh, people tend to do what they can get away with. Uh, we're probably familiar with the saying of a British uh, guy, Lord Acton, who said, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Uh, for the powerful and for everyone else, really, uh, the tendency is to do whatever we can do to get our own way. Restraint must be learned, as anyone who has spent a little time around a two-year-old will know. Uh, sometimes it seems like mine is the only word that comes preloaded from the factory, you know. Uh, but anyway, we've got that to look forward to, I think. Awesome. But you know, the, the disciples... Look at the disciples. After Pentecost, they turned into absolutely amazingly courageous and amazingly dedicated and amazingly effective missionaries. And in one generation, they had spread Christianity pretty much all across the Roman Empire, the whole civilized world as, as they knew it. Uh, they faced incredible hardships, and just about all of them died gruesome deaths in their mission to spread the gospel. But before this, when Christ was still with them, sometimes they seemed like slow learners who just didn't get it, you know. And, and listen to this passage from Luke 9 and see if you can detect any, like, overreaction possibly. Uh, I'll read this. This is from Luke 9. It says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Anybody get any, hear anything that sounded like over, overreaction maybe? You know, this, the situation there was that the Samaritans uh, didn't like the Jews and vice versa. And so when travelers were going through Samaria uh, on the way to Jerusalem, they just refused to be hospitable. You know, they just refused to, 
welcome them. Uh, so the reaction of the disciples was like, well, let's destroy him, you know. And the reaction of Jesus was, nah, let's just go around. Let's just go to another village, you know. So we're familiar with the animosity uh, that was there. So just the re- way to react to it is kind of the difference. Speaking of James and John, though, the two disciples in this other story, listen to this from Mark chapter 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory, in your glory. And Jesus replied, you don't know what you're asking for, you know. So what was, what was going on here, you know, the, the, even at this late date, James and John seemed like they looked at this new power that they were finding that they, that they had and that Jesus had was just a way to ride Jesus' coattails into a better position for themselves. You know, that, that's kind of what they were wanting to get out of the whole thing. Uh, James and John, they, it says in the scripture, it says James and John wanted to be at the places of honor on Jesus' right and left. So I have a question. Which one do you think wanted to be on the right and which one the left? You know, anybody have a guess? My guess is that if you ask James, he would say, James on the right, John on the left. And if you ask John, he would say, John on the right. James on the left, you know. That's just kind of the way human nature uh, works. So forbearance just doesn't come naturally. And, and Jesus, you know, went right on after this to, to talk to them. He thought it was a teachable moment, as they say, to talk about the idea that, that whoever wants to be the greatest needs to be the biggest servant, you know, that uh, having power is an opportunity to serve, not an opportunity to build yourself up. So during, during the period of the Enlightenment, as Europe uh, sort of recovered from the stupor of the Middle Ages, people began to think and write about how governments and societies arose and what forms and characteristics the ideal government should, should have, given the nature of man. One of these was an Englishman, Thomas Hobbes, who wrote an important work in the field. Uh, the name of it was Leviathan. And he sets out his ideas that without a strong governing force to control him, societies would descend into a law of the jungle situation. He describes the natural state of mankind as the war of man against every man, uh, wherein, uh, and this is a quote from his book, he says, wherein men live without other security than what their own strength and their own invention can furnish them. He goes on to describe the dismal result in an often quoted passage that's uh, says, in such condition, there's no place for industry because the fruit thereof is uncertain. And consequently, no culture of the earth, no navigation, no use of commodities that may be imported by sea, no commodious building, no instruments of moving and removing such things as require much force, no knowledge of the face of the earth, no account of time, no arts, no letters, no society, and which is worst of all, Continual fear and danger of violent death and the life of man, solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. You know, and I think that situation, I heard one wag said that would be, that last part would be a good name for a law firm. Uh, <laughs> nasty, brutish, and short. But, but you know, he describes a dismal situation there. And uh, 
his prescription, Hobbes' prescription, was for all men to cede power to a central authority and then give that authority, uh, whether it be a king, a counselor, or whatever, uh, the power to enforce order, and that by having order that everybody would be better off. Now, I, I think Hobbes may have been overly pessimistic, and he may have been unduly influenced by the chaos that he exhibited in his own life, which was during the English Civil War when you know they saw the execution of the monarch and then a long, confusing war that had many factions and changing fortunes. But it would be hard to deny that there's at least some truth in his arguments. There's just something about getting power that changes people, and most often for the worse. Uh, just to give an example from history, consider the, the French Revolution when the French monarchy was swept away. Right after, right after uh, the time of our revolution in this country, the mantra of that revolution was liberty, equality, and fraternity. But once they had unchecked power, the leaders of the revolution lost all sense of proportion and perspective and restraint, and then liberty, equality, and fraternity morphed into what was known as the reign of terror when you know, there were untold numbers of executions of both aristocrats and ordinary citizens just based on minor or, or imaginary even offenses. So a strong central authority is no guarantee of a good outcome. There's just something about power that changes uh, people. Uh, another example that probably everybody here uh, over a certain age is familiar with would be from the Andy Griffith show in Mayberry. I don't know how many of you remember this episode, but it was one of my favorites where, uh, you know, they had Andy as the sheriff and Barney as the deputy, and Andy had to leave town for a few days. And when he got back in town, everybody in the streets were empty because everybody in town was in jail. You know, and Barney had used, he, he just let the power go to his head. You know, he, uh, he even had Opie and Aunt B in jail for some, you know, some kind of offense that uh, he knew, and of course he could quote the, you know, the, the ordinance by chapter and verse, but he just had lost proportion of like letting, overlooking things and whatnot. So you might say, well, this all well and good, but what does it have to do with me? I'm not running a country and not really even running Mayberry. You know, that may be true, but I would suggest that we all have more power than we may believe, and we'll become more conscious of that if we look for it. Uh, we can't necessarily influence nations or history, but we can have tremendous influence on the individuals that we come in contact with in our daily lives. Uh, parent, just examples, parents, of course, have tremendous power over children, and more and more as we age, you know, a lot of times children have an influence control over their parents, uh, uh, you know, and, and the, the quality of life is just completely at the mercy of how that power is used. Uh, Teachers, coaches, employers, there's all kind of relationships where one superior knowledge, age, position, wealth, or whatever gives them an advantage. And how that uh, advantage is used is, is just all important. Uh, so, so God gives us more power than we're probably aware of. And how we use it or don't use it speaks volume about our relationships with each other and with God. So... What I'd like to leave you with is just be aware of the power that God gives you and try to use it like Andy and not like Barney. You know, that's the, the sermon. Try to imitate Christ. And if offended, don't call down fire 
from heaven on people, just go to another village, you know. Just just use use your power sparingly. And with that, I, I thank you for listening. And with that, I conclude this message. And also, I conclude my career as a preacher. <laughs> uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your forbearance toward us. We give you thanks for the example given by Christ of how Christians should live in harmony with each other. Allow us, we pray, to become better imitators of Christ, to be more aware of the power you have entrusted to us and to use it in ways that are consistent with your will and your intent. Amen.